0: Welcome back to Stage Left. Today we are talking about costume design with Sherlock O'Halloran, Enda Kenny and Peter O'Brien. Sherlock's work in theatre and film has travelled worldwide and recent theatre work includes The Great Hunger and The Fall of the Second Republic for the Abbey Theatre. Enda has been working in costume departments in theatre, film and television for the past 20 years including Sadler's Wells, National Theatre London, Tokyo Ballet, HBO, the BBC, and Game of Thrones. Peter lived for a number of years in Paris, where he worked in fashion at Christian Dior, Givenchy, Chloé, and as a creative director of Rochester for 12 years. In 2004, he returned to Ireland, and in 2005, he started designing for theatre in productions for the Gate Theatre Dublin, the Abbey Theatre, and Project Arts Centre. In this conversation, Sherlock, Enda and Peter talk about their different journeys, the importance of knowing all the aspects and roles involved in costume design, the significance of developing a trusting relationship with actors and the collaborative nature of the craft. They also reflect on the differences of designing costumes for different art forms on a stage and also designing for a stage and for a screen. Theatre being a more intimate working environment than big project films. And finally, they consider the impact of technology and costume design and its pros and cons. I am Noelia Ruiz and I hope you enjoy it.
1: Welcome to the Irish Society of Stage and Screen Designers podcast. Each episode covers different aspects of sonography and its processes, with designers from all disciplines at a variety of stages in their careers. These podcasts are possible thanks to the Design and Crafts Council of Ireland.
2: I kind of got into it very late. Um, I've always felt a bit like a blow-in and not a real costume designer in the sense because I worked in fashion. I studied fashion at St. Martin's. I Lived in Paris, worked in Paris in fashion for 24, 25 years. Um, I came back to Ireland after being away for over 30 years in about 2004. And Mary Rooney, who used to work at the Gate Theatre, had seen some of my drawings somewhere. And they were doing, uh, oh, Lady Windermere's Fan. And they'd set it in 1947. And they asked me, what I like to do the frocks? And it was something I'd always wanted to do, but I had no idea how one got into it. Um, so I was very happy to do it. And So, you know, I, I, it was really late in my career that I started. Um, so that would have been about 205, 206, I think. So that was the first one I did um, because someone asked me. It was really as simple as that. Um, but, I, you know, I'd worked in fashion for 20 years, 25 years. So um, I knew a bit about frocks, although I know clothes and costumes are too... They're very closely related, but they're not quite the same thing. But, um, so I had a lot to learn about the practicalities of costume and budgets more than anything else. <laughs> more than anything else, budgets. <laughs> and that was back in the days when, you know, I would have got 35 grand to do costumes, you know, for a fraction. That's a
1: long time ago. There's no, it's not a mobile.
2: Motor- <laughs> not happening now. Not a notion. Not unless you're on Broadway, you know, and it's a Disney production. Like uh, but maybe
3: a tenth of that now or something if you're lucky. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well,
2: really. I, did, I, I did Gatsby on a quarter of that. Yeah. Which, you know, which is, you know. Yeah. But there was a lot of, you know, magic wands waved and rescuing and saving and, you know, you know the kind of things we do. But, yeah, that was <laughs> the good old days when, you know, there was money to spend on costumes.
0: Thanks, Peter. What about you, Enda?
3: Um, I suppose I started off, I went to study at Dunleary, um Was it, it was the Institute back then, I think. I studied prop making there. And I was, I sort of was a bit of an odd one out in the sort of prop making world because everybody was making all these very beautiful kind of square, perfect things. And I was off. Busy in the corner with a pile of fabric making something weird and grotesque. And um, then I went, I did my, finished my degree in Bournemouth and then moved to London. And it was kind of there that I got my opportunity really to work in, in costume. My first costume experience was actually at the Gate in London. I did, or, or in Dublin, I did the, I did a bit of a work placement there back in, I think it was 2001. And then they asked me back to do costume. You must of have been dramas. about
2: two years of age.
3: <laughs> i was what was I, I was in my early 20s at that stage and right. um, i yeah so I, I i did a few jobs there but to be honest i can remember like that that one bit of work experience kind of saw me get every job as a result of that you know like it was it's all been kind of word of mouth and recommendations from that one bit of work experience that's why i'm i'm always really kind of passionate about saying to people don't be worried about working for free you know you a good turn in the long run because I think there's a lot of students maybe who kind of feel like they're underselling themselves by doing that but it's how you get your name out there isn't it it's how you get to develop relationships with people and you know how to meet people and network in the industry and yeah basically every every job I've had subsequently since then really has related back to that first piece of work experience which is crazy even you know, nearly 20 years later, I'm, I'm still kind of reaping the awards of that one bit of work experience. So, um, but yeah, I, I worked, um, I worked in London as a maker. So I, I'm kind of from a, a making background. I do a bit of millinery, leather work and prop costume. I'm not, I'm not definitely not tailoring or very, very refined stuff. I'm more kind of big and brash and kind of out there. And, um, it's all kind of, yeah, it's all kind of culminated in the last few years of me getting more into design. So I've probably been designing the last six years or so, really. I did, I've done some short films and um, some stuff when I was in London, but really um, working in Belfast as a designer probably about the last six years. And um, yeah, it's been going well and I've been enjoying it, but I feel like, um, you know, Belfast is quite a small place, so it's quite hard to, to kind of get the opportunities. And i um, I'm looking forward to kind of working outside Belfast in the future.
0: And Shalok,
1: I had always kind of, I suppose, my main intention when I was younger that I was that I actually wanted to be an actor. So I, that was my main goal in life, and uh, I did go a youth theatre and I did loads of different things. And then I kind of ended up starting a theatre company with friends in Galway. Um, and realized we thought we were going to be like the next Druid or something. We thought we were going to be just, we wanted to be as self-sufficient as possible. So I went and studied fashion in Galway Um <clears throat> did like a kind of a FITAC thing there um, to try and just kind of get a better grasp of it so that I could, if I wasn't on stage, at least I could be backstage, I could be figuring all that out. And I actually just loved it more. I enjoyed it a lot more. And uh, because the, co- the course had to continue and I went to finish it off in Bray, the fashion capital of... Ireland um, and I uh, studied it there and but I always kind of dipped kept my kind of toe in the theatre side of stuff and uh, did a lot of work experience with Mockness during the summer while I was studying um, fashion and uh, I'd never any kind of intention of getting into fashion but it was just there wasn't a costume course and I was just trying, trying to figure it out I suppose um, and then I did, did work with Machines in the summer in Galway and ended up going to the Abbey costume hire with them to pull costume for the parade and ended up meeting some of the girls there. Uh, for some reason, ended up giving them my number. There was a girl on work experience uh, that ended up handing over my number, kind of something like that. And I remember sitting on my bed uh, in my pajamas at four o'clock on a Monday afternoon and getting a call from Nave Lunny from the head of costume in the Abbey and um, asked me to start in there next day. So I started doing, um, wardrobe maintenance, costume maintenance on a show there in August, 2010. And I left the Abbey officially, I think it was February, 2017, 2018, I think. Um, so I kind of mainly like worked there for a long time, uh, really learned, like got all of my training really in the Abbey, um, working with different breakdown art, like breakdown and makers and meeting different designers and supervisors. I also then ended up running the Abbey costume hire at the warehouse in Vinglis um, and that was such an education because I just met loads of amazing designers and I got to learn about costume for things like commercials, films, short films, music videos, am-dram. Um, I was surrounded by thousands, thousands of costumes every day. learned a lot about costume history of things and it always such an interesting history anyways so I just you know just soaked up as much as I could and then I just ended up getting a Again, like getting one job, I think I got, I ended up doing a short film. No, a film because a friend couldn't do it. And through that, I ended up getting my first theatre design job. Got nominated for an Irish Theatre Award for that. That was seven years ago. And after that, never since. Um, But then I just, it was the same thing of just meeting people and getting to know them and uh, and starting to do... um, shows and do little pieces and since then i've been designing for theater and i've done some for dance done stuff for music videos uh done a lot of short films and then i start my very first feature film in january so it's varied so yeah starting from fashion but ending up here like everybody else
0: that's very interesting because a good few of the designers that have been in this podcast also came into the world of scenography in a kind of random way so I wonder how was that journey or that transition for you? Well, I kept doing what
2: I'd always done. Um, I, I, uh, I, I did um, kind of I did collections for stores here. I did for awear until they were sold. Then I did some Farnetts and then Duns. So I was continuing to design clothes, clothes, real people's clothes, as well as doing costumes. So I did both um I'm lucky I did but I genuinely don't know how anyone makes a live, living doing costumes I mean it's really I I couldn't have lived on it um I, I, I mean I, and I did a lot you know I did a lot of shows uh, but it it's really tough you know um
1: yeah, it, it's also kind of that thing like because you obviously had that and then and I know you were in the lyric um yeah I think it is that thing of like yeah, and I was in the Abbey. So I subs we all subsidized, I suppose, our design work with other yeah, forms of income.
2: Definitely.
3: Um
1: because anybody that does straight theatre, I think especially, is it's really, 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 really
3: tough to make a living out of it for sure. It's really I think really especially is when you're trying to like make a name for yourself as well. As you know it's you do, you have to kind of do bits of everything. Like and I still do, you know, I, I work I work as a breakdown artist and I work as a leather worker and milliner and I'm going to do a job in the new year where I'm working part-time three days a week on a film doing leather work and prop costume. And it like, but I like that because it still keeps my work fresh and it kind of gets me thinking in different ways. And like, I I very much enjoy using my hands and making things. And I think that really informs the way that I design. And yeah. I think... Like for me as a maker, I think that that, that's probably one of the biggest influences within my work as a designer, because I have to be able to figure out how everything kind of comes together technically as well as like, you know, artistically. And I think having that understanding of the actual production of something makes it more achievable for me. And like, that's one thing i be very keen to kind of push with people kind of coming up through the ranks is to to learn their craft, you know, to, to try their hand at everything just so that they have an understanding because, you know, sometimes you work with designers who who kind of have no idea about the feasibility of something like budget-wise or, you know, ambition-wise with something and you kind of have to step in with a bit of a reality check. But I think having that bit of an understanding of fabric and form and construction really helps because, you can kind of, you can figure things out, especially budget-wise yourself. I know a supervisor does that most of the time, but I think it's good to have those sort of skills as a designer as well.
2: I totally agree. I, th- I think even with the kids out in IADT, I tell them all the time, listen to every word that comes out of Gillian Carew's mouth. If you don't yeah. know the difference between a set-in sleeve and a raglan sleeve, how the hell can you design a coat with a yeah. raglan sleeve? It drives me insane. It's so
3: important. <laughs> It's yeah, so, I think there's
1: so many, Like there's so many sections within costume as well. I think people just assume, you know, that phrase that you get asked a lot, like, Oh, did you, des- Oh, you designed them. Did you make them as well? And you're like, no, there's so many different, like people assume the costume designer does it all. Yeah. And there's so many different sections, breakdown, leather work, bead work, makers, tailors, break. like there's, you know, knitters, like there's so many assistants, supervisors, like there's so many different roles within it. And, uh, so, people to assume that the designer sometimes yeah designers come in with no with like a drawing on a page but have no concept of how something is to be made, so yeah, having a, an idea of every section within costume and department within costume is really
2: vital uh, yeah. yeah i mean you know if you, if you don't know how an airplane works, you can't design one can you i i, yeah. I I'm yeah. baffled <laughs> um, and the other the other thing is that for the last certainly in the u k 10, 15 years, there's been a trend for um, people to do both costume and set.
0: Yeah, oh, um, yeah.
2: This is partly to do with budgets because um, it's less expensive for producers, you know, to have one person do both. And I think some people do both very well, but I have to say, and I'm going to be shut down for this, I think very often they're almost invariably better at one than the other, almost oh. invariably.
1: And they usually um, tend to have a really, really good supervisor that does most of the work yeah. if they... Yeah. yeah.
2: Absolutely. But it just means less work for us, you know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. There's definitely some that do it very, very well. And
2: there's yeah, there definitely are. Else there are, are so absolutely. Good.
1: But there is there is definitely the assumption that either they're better at one or better at the other. I don't, also don't know how yeah. people can manage to do both. I don't, they
2: don't they either. Do. I mean, the really successful ones have studios and tons of assistants and, yeah, you know... Yeah. The famous ones, so yeah, um, so that makes kind of sense, you know. But to do it on your own, I don't know how anyone could do both. I really yeah. don't. I think be-
1: I get the visual side of it. I really like. Yeah. I understand that you really the overall look or something. But I think just from an actual practical timing, like yeah. the costume takes so much time in in from the prep to the rehearsal point to the production. You know, I just think you're, you're splitting yourself in two, and I'm amazed yeah. that anyone that can do it so successfully. Yeah. more power to them no absolutely.
2: absolutely
3: any jobs that i supervised where it was uh the same designer for both set and costume i barely ever saw the the designer it was as as you know as as you're saying there they generally are better at one than the other but it, and it does feel like a lot of the time costume kind of suffers in that respect if it is the same designer because it's sometimes seen as less important you know and i think Um, It's often seen as less important by theatre management, which
2: pisses me off, (laughs) hugely.
0: This brings to mind design as a collaborative process, and I wonder how is that process from a costume designer's point of view?
2: oh the darling monica you know monica who died wonderful monica <laughs> yeah. um monica used to teach out at IADT, and we were really good pals and i really loved her dearly she had a really big personality and she always used to say to me we got to do a show together peter we have to do a show together i said monica we'll kill each other we'll absolutely kill each <laughs> other i now really regret that we never did it you know because she oh. was wonderful and such a brilliant teacher but uh, yeah. generally, I have never had a problem with a with a set designer, never. And oh, now Monica, never used to, Monica used to fight with me about this because I would always say that, you know, the set designer kind of created the universe into which I put costumes, you know. So yeah. I, I tended, I would always, I'd usually, my first meeting with the set designer would usually be when they've got at least got sketches, you know, Um and am said, no, you can't do this. It's totally collaborative. And she's probably right. I guess I'm not pushy enough. But um, I've never, ever, ever had a problem. They just show me their set and I people it with frocks, you know, um, that will work within that set. And sometimes a frock doesn't work or a chair doesn't work. Or, but I've never, ever. Maybe I'm just not a difficult person, but I've never had a problem with this. Collaborating has never been an issue for me. It's very easy.
1: It's important though as well. Like it's really Yeah, really cool. important. I think sometimes you can see when when a set and costume don't collaborate or lighting yeah. or something. It's definitely like yeah. I remember at the beginning of this year, the only one of the only shows I did was and Katie Davenport. Katie we did it for a show in the Abbey and Katie did set, I did costume. And because we we know each other and we're pals anyways, but we're also I just think she's a really, really great great um collaborator and we got to make then a really really great overall vision that worked very well yeah like light, no colors and tones and everything just worked and I think it really showed on stage and I think yeah collaborating like from very early on is really really important if you want to have a a harmonizing beautiful piece of work on stage and with this and And sometimes with the sound designers, massively with, you know, choreographers and with lighting designers or AV designers, like there's a lot more like visual stuff happening these days. So the earlier you can have those conversations with people and conjure and create together, um, it's important.
2: I remember Richard Rogers before he died was interviewed and um, someone asked him about um, costumes because he said he wasn't a very visual person. And he said the costume should look the way the overture sounds. And he's absolutely right. I mean, it made total sense to me, you know, that everyone's singing from the same hymn sheet, I think.
0: Thank you. I wonder about the most challenging production you've worked on.
2: I'm a bit like Maggie Smith. When roles come up for films, for Dowager Duchesses, they always choose her. If there's a play going on in Dublin with Posh Frocks, they ask me. And I long... I long to be asked to do something else. I long to be able to bury a costume in the garden for three weeks or stain it with tea. <laughs> I longed for someone to wear, but no one ever asked me. They need those just posh frocks. That's all I ever get asked to do. So that that kind of can be frustrating. Yeah. The biggest challenge, um We did an Alan Akebourne play and it was set in the 70s. And I thought this would be really good fun to do 70s costumes. And because at the gate they'd had a 70s play just before it that was a huge flop, they decided to set it just before the advent of the mobile phone about 1991 or 92. It was a nightmare because when something is relatively close, everyone from the tea lady, the boy in the box office, everyone has an opinion. And because it's closer to what actors will wear in their day-to-day life, it's, well, I wouldn't wear that. I hate blue. or." It was really difficult. It was a nightmare. A nightmare. Whereas, you know, if it's Wild or Shaw, you can blind them with science, you know. <laughs> uh, and, you know, get those crinolines or bustles or whatever out, you know, and they can't really argue with you. But, oh, no, it was terrible. I hated doing that 90s thing. And the thing is, I started working in Paris in the 80s, and I'd be, I was doing collections in Paris in 91, 92. I had loads of shots of, you know, backstage in Paris with models, clothes I'd designed. Um, I got family pictures from the 90s. I mean, I was really, really true to the period, but um, everyone had an opinion. Everyone. I, I, yeah. It's one of the rare times I nearly kind of lost it, but it was fine. It was fine. So, it is yeah. that pink- People, do,
1: people assume the contemporary or anything that they, like if it's a Victorian piece or something, they go like, you know, you're going, okay, this is a banker. This is what they wear. There's their costume. And they go, okay, yeah, fine. No problem. Yeah. And you're yeah. going, okay, it's actually 1993 and, or 2020 and this is a banker. And everybody goes, oh no, 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 no. I I, I know somebody that, I know somebody that's a banker and that's not what they wear. Or, you know, people know yeah. they, they They trust you if it's a timeline that they have no... Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
2: I think it's it's hard, don't you, for actors? Like, very often the first time they meet you, you're in a horrible changing room with strip lighting and they're in their underwear and you're a total stranger telling them what they're going to be wearing, you know? Yeah. Um, So I think once you can convince them, you know, that you're their friend and you're there making their job as easy as possible, it's grand, but uh, it's kind of... I'm terrified, I'm always terrified for first fitting, terrified.
1: An actor told me earlier in the year, he said, um, I think I, I said, how do you feel in it? And he goes, you should never ask an actor how they feel in something. You should ask them what they think because if you ask them how they feel, They'll tell you like they they'll feel terrible or they'll feel fat or they'll feel like this their own colour, but if it's what you what do you think? Do you do you mm-hmm. think this is do you, do you think this is right for the character? And he gave a big analogy about it, and then I had a fitting with an actor about three days later, and I said, how do you feel in it? And the exact situation happened mm. where they said, "I feel this is wrong." Blah, 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 And I was like, "Okay." But for the character, what do you think? And they said, "Oh, no, I think it's right for the character." And I was like, "Okay." Mm. Never asking the actor how they feel ever again, ever.
3: What do they That's think? That's really good. Tip. Yeah. yeah, I think. Do you know you? Um, as you are saying there, Peter, you're you're like in in that situation for first bitten. People are very vulnerable. They are. And
2: yeah,
3: and they're, and it's not just. the the clothes that they're wearing it's sometimes their own physicality that you're trying to kind of get them out of their own heads to kind of look at look at it from their character's point of view you know a lot of the time people have issues with their bodies on stage and a lot of actors do a lot of actors are very vain and kind of need a lot of self-assurance a lot of reassurance from other people and I, I kind of think that yeah once you develop that Relationship with them that they they trust you. That's a lot easier. But I've had situations in the past where, you know, I've worked with actors who, no matter what you put them in, they kind of just look like they've been dragged through a hedge backwards. You know, and it's kind of like it's not, not something that the way that you're addressing them, it, but it's the way that they hold themselves or the way that they want to portray themselves, and and it speaks volumes about their own kind of relationship with their bodies and themselves, and like. I've had such battles in the past in that respect and knowing how some, how somebody could look and how amazing they could look, but until they want to embody that character themselves, it's very hard to can't exactly like give them acting lessons or lessons on poise or how to hold themselves. So it's, it is, it's it's a kind of a complicated relationship. And I think a lot of the time you end up having to, I've had to compromise designs based on, you know, certain actors kind of inhibitions or, you know, even like physical ailments or things like that. Is that something that I don't think as a viewer of theater a lot of people think about, you know, if an actor has has a disability that they're um they're trying to not draw attention to, or if they've got like some sort of skin condition or something like that, that, you're trying to you're trying to make them feel as comfortable as they they can be on stage in terms of portraying the character rather than kind of the focus being on on something else. So I think it's a, it can be a really um, difficult job to kind of negotiate those kind of areas.
2: Yeah, you really have to be a diplomat, I think. Yeah. Uh, I think the designing of the costume is kind of the easy bit. I think, yeah. um, I think it's the hand-holding and the, you know, just being nice and being diplomatic and, you know, helping them. I mean, I... I, I've found in the couple of instances it's happened where an actor really loathes everything, no matter what you bring to the table. Yeah. The problem is really not with the costume. The problem is somewhere else. It's, yeah. it's about confidence and insecurity and things like that. Yeah. Um, but no, generally, listen, I love actors. I think they're great. Um, and uh, happily, I end up having nice, you know, nice friendships with them. Um, yeah. But sometimes it can be difficult.
1: Collaboration though as well. Like if we go back to the idea of collaboration, I think they are some of our key collaborators. Is that I think you know you can have done your your research and you can have done your months of research or two weeks of research depending on when the hell you're brought on, but they may or may not have done that. They may have had yeah. done loads of themselves, and yeah. you're sometimes harmoniously they'll come together and you'll have this beautiful moment where you're completely on the same page. Other times they have a completely different view of what their character is. And sometimes you have it depending, but I think like collaborating with them is actually really, really important as well. And sometimes it can be hard and it can be, um, it may not be what your design ends up being, but it's uh, like at the end of the day, they have to wear it. So if they are not happy in it, There is no hope in hell whether you've made the most beautiful guna or you've put them in a rag. If they're not comfortable in it, they're never going to display your gorgeous work on stage. So I think it is back as well, back to collaborating and making sure that, uh, yeah, you, you work well together. And sometimes you don't. Sometimes you do have arguments and sometimes you have to change your idea. Sometimes you do. It's very intimate. Like it's a really, really intimate thing. And you get to know a lot about a person. And they're standing there in their underwear with you in the middle of a, like I said, a badly lit room, you know?
2: Yeah. I often I used remember. to wonder... Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, you go ahead, Peter, sorry. No, I was just going to say, I often used to wonder, especially in in London or in Broadway, you see a play and be really beautifully designed and the leading actor or actress would have these god-awful costumes that were kind of anachronistic to the whole production. You think... How, what is this all about? Now I understand it, you know. If you're yeah. a name that puts bums on seats, you basically get to wear what you want. I mean, it's yeah. kind of that there's
1: simple. one specific actor I've noticed, one specific female actor I have watched on screen for a number of years, and I guarantee 100%, she is very, very specific, and she only wears forms of silk. If you watch anything she's in, she wears silk, and there's, she was in War and Peace and that was I think the key moment for us like she has her own designer and she only wears what she wants to because this is an eighties prom dress in the middle of like war and peace. That's you know? <laughs> yeah. like Lina, I know you love you. I know you love your silk and definitely, yeah, she she's very specific, I reckon.
2: Oh no, I think I think with you know, with power, you know, when if you if you get bums on seats, I think you can kind of wear what you want really. Does
0: that mean that you have to compromise between the actor and the character when you are designing costumes
1: I do think out of all of the design roles within a theatre piece I do feel we have to compromise one of the most though I think yeah. because we, yeah. I think it's partly partly because you're dealing with actors and you're dealing with directors and things but also people there's a general conception that people have that because clothes are things that everybody wears that everybody has a right to challenge that Yeah, and I think people don't understand like a lamp or a tungsten you know that nobody understands what certain lamps do or nobody understands how certain things are recorded and nobody understands how to choreograph something or to do an av thing but everybody wears clothes so of course you know i do feel that we do have to compromise just that little bit more than other departments because of that
0: and what about designing for different art forms on a stage like dance theater opera and designing for a screen
1: There's a huge difference between stage and screen because screen, you see things so up up close. There's no room for error. There's no room for hiding things. Um, For stage, you always very often have a distance. I think for spectacle, like I've done massive spectacle shows where you're putting a costume on a 20-foot puppet and, you know, you have to figure out how to design for that scale or you have to design for people that are wear harnesses and are flying or people that are on stilts or you're designing for a dancer that needs to have movement. So every, every um, media within, you know, the only link is costume. (laughs) Everything else is very, very different. Um, And even within a stage performance, you know, you're dealing with, you could be dealing with a very, very straightforward two-hander play, or you could be dealing with a massive bloodbath or rain or mud or flames. You know, you have to be very aware of the practicalities and making sure things are fireproofed or that you know the the actors if they're running against a stage that has like a Marley that's that's or shiny like a dance a dance floor or something that to make sure that they don't slip that you have to even a simple thing of rubbering the shoes to make sure they don't slip if it's a shiny or wet floor and you have to think about if something is going to get blood on every night how you make sure it washes every time or or if a dancer is flying or being lifted in the air that they have enough movement within it so I think yeah you Within every discipline, within you know, you have to think about something. Um, every single, I personally, for me, I think every single discipline is very, very different, and you also you constantly have to adapt to whatever section you're working on.
2: I think film and theatre are radically different. I mean, it's yeah. almost like two different jobs. I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's so different. Um, the
1: question is that it's closed and that's as far as it goes especially as well if people are filming a lot more now in high def or they're working with sharper more modern cameras yeah. you can't get away with any flaws you you can see the difference of a shine of a fabric so you know if you're if you're doing a period piece and you're using a uh, polyester shiny you know you'll see the difference between a wool and a polyester quite easily even if they change and also as well with screen you can do black and white you know there's loads of different things so you you know, you have to look at your tonal and understand your colours and how it's going to go from colour to, to black and white, whether it's on film or whether it's on digital scale. It's, um, yeah, it's totally different.
3: I think as well, like um, there's, there's very different attitudes from people who work primarily in theatre or primarily in film. Like I found in the past, like I'd work in both happily and I'll do anything that's creative that will pay the bills. Um, that sounds dodgy, but I didn't mean it like that. But um I think there sometimes can be an attitude like I've worked when I was working in certain films that people who are in theatre aren't good enough to work in film. Like that that's what I found in the past. And I often find that like in order to make theatre costumes and make them well, you know, you have to make something that's gonna last, that can physically stand up to being to whatever it goes through every show like for possibly months on end, you know, and there's a huge amount of skill in that. And I think equally then with film costume, a lot of it, as you say, Sal is under such huge amount of scrutiny that like, you can see the finest little detail in stitching. So they are such different disciplines. And I think they were, they do, they require very different treatments, the costumes from each of those. But I do find it strange sometimes that there is such a divided kind of opinion that, mine's the best industry to work in or mine's the most creative or mine's you know mine requires the most talent and probably more so I would say on the working in film departments that that there's there can sometimes be a little bit of snobbery among among people then who work in in theatre I think there can sometimes be a bit of divide there but I don't know have you experienced that yourselves
2: I've only, done, I've only ever done one film and um, I never want to do another one. I mean, that's not true. <laughs> if anyone wants me to do a film, it's fine. Do it. But um, I spent my time, I mean, it was lovely. We were in Brussels, in studio in Brussels, and then we were down in Eileen Gray's house in the south of France. But I spent three weeks in a Winnebago washing spanks. I mean, that's <laughs> kind of what my job was. Yeah. Um, we made, very, we made the, the main characters' costumes at Cospros. But everything else we rented. And because all the extras were famous people like Diaghilev, like Picasso, they all had to look a very specific way. So there were hundreds of these extras. Um, it was just, what I hazed about it's so much organization. And we had a brilliant um, wardrobe supervisor. Um, but I thought it was like, kind of felt like working in the factory. I mean, there was just so many rails and rails and rails of costumes. And um, I kind of like the intimacy of theatre. And I like building up a relationship with the actors. And the fact that, you know, once tech week is over and it's up and running, that's it. You know, yeah. done, done and dusted. Whereas in film next week, who knows what the hell they need. You know, Aristotle and Asis turned up one Sunday night so Monday morning we had to find glasses in the south of France and everything was closed that kind of thing doesn't really happen in theatre um uh, I just I just like the I just like the world of theatre better um film is very different and I just don't feel like the I've the organizational skills necessary um you need to be so organized you really do or at least have a, a brilliant wardrobe supervisor
3: yeah. I think you're yeah. right when you say the kind of intimacy of theater. Do you know, when you I think when you work in theater, no matter what role you're in, you feel you feel like you're an important part of it. Whereas I think in film sometimes you can feel just like you're a cog in a machine and it's such a huge machine, you know, that it's very easy to kind of not feel overlooked but like feel undervalued, I guess. You know, if especially if you're not at, at like you're not a head of department, you're not a designer or supervisor. Sometimes you are just like a minion, basically. That's what they, you're seen as. But I think I've always felt I do enjoy that, um, that more intimate kind of atmosphere of theatre. It's definitely a lot more rewarding, I think, as a designer, because you get to, you get to see people's reactions to your work as well. You know, um, on opening night, you get to be part of the, be part of the audience and experience that magic that everyone else you you kind of feel that that's totally um evident on opening night
1: it's also i think is not that thing where it's like theater theater you have like four or five weeks of prep Mm. and then show opens and it's over and then when you do film you have Four, four weeks of prep or whatever, but it's, your filming is boom, boom, boom. And it's so fast paced and they can change their mind so fast. And then you have to wait two years for it to come out. So no. it can be, you know, it's quite different, but I think sometimes like I agree. And I think like sometimes when you're on a bigger, when you're on a bigger budget, bigger, bigger crew, kind of a, a film or a TV show or something. Yeah. You definitely feel like a cog in the wheel and whether you're there or not doesn't necessarily, you're not, necessarily you are not yeah. you know you're not saving the world but i do think when you sometimes work on shorts or when you work on more like a, a lower to medium scale budget it depends as well i think who the designer is or who your team or if you're the designer who your team is i've worked on features that have been absolutely magical and so special and as special as as the experience i've had in theater and made yeah. some really really great friends and been really really proud of the work and felt important or felt like a part of a really good team yeah. um So I think you can definitely get it, but um, I do completely agree. I think they're very, very, very different things. And um, for me, I love them both. Like I love doing theatre. I find it so exciting and I find it so live. And I think it's like you have that magic for sure. And then I think in film, sometimes you can have that as well and be so proud of the work that you've done and... The only connection between the two of them is costume, really. And costume <laughs> is different. So, you know,
2: they're quite when different. I, when I got to Belgium and we started um, filming, the, head, the wardrobe supervisor said to me, you mustn't go on set, she said. In Belgium and in France, the costume designer never goes on set. And I said, why? She said, because actors are capricious, she said. And if you're there, they'll come up to you and they'll say, Peter, is this okay? Can I have a different hat? She said, if you're not there, they'll wear whatever I give them. And we (laughs) kind of tried it. And she's kind of right. And so I I stayed in my Winnebago steaming, you know, steaming the Spanx while, um, you know, while the actors went on set. And I didn't go on to this. I did once or twice, but very rarely. They just don't do it in France. It's unheard of for the costume designer to be there.
3: There, there you go, Salog now. You know. In in January, Sal, look, you have to hide on the truck. Don't go anywhere near set. <laughs> <that.
1: laughs> thanks to COVID, I'm not really going to be allowed on set. Which is <laughs> I don't, um, for most of the friends that have done TV shows and stuff since COVID has hit, um, they haven't been allowed really visit set. So as much as I want to, because I actually would love to be there. I'm so used to being on set. I think I'd be really sad to... To not see it happen and also make sure, like, and I'm a finicker, so I'd be like, the collar is wrong, or, you know, this is actually supposed to be worn this way. So the idea of not being allowed there would freak me out. But at the same time, if I can just sit there and steam some spanks while they all make the movie, I think that could be kind of crap. I'll (laughs) be happy out.
0: What about the impact of technology on costume design, I know in the past 10 years there's been a massive impact um, on sound or lighting or AV. So I wonder about costume, which is more craft based, as you were saying?
3: I think, from sort of, from primarily from a design point of view, um, you know, a lot, a lot of more designers are tending to go towards like the more kind of digital collage kind of work rather than hand drawn. Um, sketches, which I, I like a mixture of both, but that's one thing I really noticed, especially among young designers is kind of the sort of photo composited kind of designs that, um, you know, are super realistic and everything. Um, I, I like kind of doing a little bit of that, but then kind of hand drawing over the top But But I think then that kind of leads on to even in costume production, like I, I've used things like laser cutting and, um, vinyl cutting and things like that in my work and I know there's a tendency now towards using things like 3D printing especially for um, costume production like a very specific sort of stuff but I think that's quite exciting I feel like we're kind of at the beginning of something there um, especially with I think what we can do with um, non-traditional fabrics and non-traditional materials especially 3D printing I think I, I think it's kind of opening up a world that wouldn't have been available necessarily in the past. So I think, yeah, I feel like I'm very much on the outside of it because I'm a bit of a technical, but I'm trying to embrace it a bit more. Do you know, like even the, the idea of a designer being able to design their own print for a fabric that they're going to use in a show and that you can do that so quickly and that you can produce that, you know, the turnaround can be a few days, I think opens up way more design possibilities for people. And, yeah, I think it's really exciting.
1: It's also going to be a thing that, at the end of the day, costume is, you have to use your hands. It's a craft, like, within making... The one kind of good thing about it is that, and bad thing, is that, like, obviously, digitising some parts of costume is just can't be possible because we need our tailors and we need our makers but I think you're right like 3d 3d fabrics and you see it a lot more in fashion like I see Iris van herpen who's an incredible fashion designer that makes a lot of these laser cut 3d making this whole fabric herself it's really exciting and maybe we'll get to kind of move that towards costume as well in terms of drawing and digitization I'm one of those people i'm I'm not a good drawer I've never been and it's one of that those chips on my shoulder that I think I'll never get older over. Whereas Mr. Peter O'Brien is one of the most beautiful illustrators <laughs> of anyone I've ever seen. And I have some of his drawings already like in my house, but it's uh, So to be able to be like that, I think, I think I would love if designers could be better at drawing. And I'm saying that I would love to be better, but the, jo- the and I, I am constantly trying to improve that, but I have an iPad pro now and I have a pen and it has opened up my world so massively, digitizing so I can draw on that, I can procreate on that, I can cut things out, and I can make mood boards digitally, and I can send them to whoever in five minutes. And that I am very, very grateful for technology for. I just wish I could, I could, be, I wish I could be a bit more better at hand drawing, but um, there is parts of technology that has definitely improved in my work absolutely, at least.
2: Absolutely, there really is. I mean, I'm a dinosaur, I draw everything. Mm. And... As Ender said, like, his designs are informed by the fact that he makes things. Um, My designing is... It's kind of like a Norwegian board or uh, I I just draw on something... I don't know whether it's particularly good or bad, but it's it's really... I do the research necessary, but it's not a particularly intellectual process. It's very kind of organic. I just draw. um, And the act of drawing releases something in my brain. I've no idea what it is. I've never analysed it. And I said, you know, Alan Bennett once said that when actors weren't on stage, they should be locked in a wardrobe with with plaster around their mouth so they can't talk about acting. I kind of feel like that about designers as well. I, be, you know, there was a, 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 you know, Francis Bacon's studio is in the Hugh Lane Gallery, which is not called the Hugh Lane Gallery anymore. But anyway, um, they used to have a clip of Melvin Bragg interviewing Francis Bacon and um, I'm absolutely paraphrasing but um, Melvin said to Francis you know why do you paint the way you paint and he said if I could answer that question I wouldn't have to do the paintings and I kind especially fashion designers should never be allowed to talk about clothes ever I think it's, it's excruciating to listen to um, so I'm really I, what I do is really um, it's this yeah I mean it's this and it, it makes me a dinosaur and I would love I'd love to be able to, um, you know, to do stuff digitally, but I'm kind of terrified. You know, you can get Christian Lacroix, who draws wonderfully. He's done a whole book of, because he designs a lot of ballets and operas. He's done a book of his costume drawings, which are all done digitally, and they're very beautiful. Um, I'd love to be able to do it, but I'm just scared. Uh, I
3: think um, one thing I've noticed about, like, being able to to produce sort of, not that I can, but... Um, illustrators that I know who produce photorealistic kind of sketches uh, like in probably more in film and TV I've noticed you know a lot of the time that um designers they'll do their own little sketches and then they'll pass them on to an illustrator who will do a super realistic thing but the one really good thing in that sense is sometimes when you're working with um directors and producers in film who (coughs) don't really know what they want until they see it if they get a really super accurate kind of um digitized sketch of what it's going to look like then they're able to green light things so much quicker you know um i worked on shows where there's so much back and forth like the bigger the show the more people are involved in it like studio execs and writers and i know people's uh, partners, their cats, their dogs, whoever has an opinion on them. But like you could be caught up for weeks in this process of design whereas being able to produce a really accurate depiction of what the end result is gonna look like helps to speed up that process. So yeah. I think and, and I think really of a
2: film a film is if it's you know superheroish, sci fi ish, game of thrones yeah. If there's corsets and breastplates and lots of bare, bare bosoms involved, the yeah. film people absolutely want to see those kind of super realistic um, digital yeah. drawings. They really do. Yeah. They actually demand them because I, I know a few people who've done that kind of work, and they they yeah. they will design them. And as you say, they send them off to L.A. or wherever, and someone who specialises yeah. in that kind of illustration will do it for the for the money men. So they understand, you know, what they're going to get yeah. for the money. Um, so meanwhile I'm back here in the 18th century with my
3: plume (laughs) (coughs) I'm not far behind you Peter I'm there with with, it's probably like a more up-to-date pen or something but I'm trying to teach I'm trying to teach myself how to do the digital stuff because my skills are basic but I do feel like it's something I have to improve on just to communicate my ideas better really I think Mm -hmm. it's a really good tool that
2: no, I, I have one or two um, students this year who kind of would have struggled a bit with their drawing and, you know, they've, they've, they've invested in iPads and they've turned out some fantastic work. It's really helped them a lot with, you know, with their illustrations and their drawings. So I think it's terrific. I think anything that anything that shows your makers and your director and your, you know, your wardrobe department what it is you want and what your ideas are, I think it's absolutely fine. Yeah,
0: Brilliant. I agree so believe it or not we're running out of time it's been an absolute pleasure and as usual these conversations I find incredibly fascinating and insightful because it's a world that I don't know much about so thank you so much for taking the time for being here and I hope you also enjoy the conversation and it's been really lovely meeting you all thank you and you too
2: Lovely to oh, see you, Salo. Nice, nice to meet you, Ender.
3: Nice to meet you yeah. here in and Salo and New Take care, people. everybody.
2: Stay safe and well. Thank you. you, too. you bye too. Bye-bye. bye. Bye bye.
1: Thanks for listening to our podcast. We will be back soon with a new episode. The Irish Society of Stage and Screen Designers podcasts are possible thanks to the Design and Craft Council of Ireland.